Once was a land of woe and strife Where the people were bereft of hope They prayed to their gods of might and light To deliver the heroes of old Instead they got Heroes, did you hear the quotes in my voice of moral ambiguity? They may help or may not help you at all, depends on what's in it for them. They kick and they punch and they maul and they smash. They lie and they scheme and they burn and they slash. Succeed or fail, it adds to the tale. Dungeons and debacles starts now. Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Dungeons and Debacles podcast. I am Kevin, your host and Dungeon Master. Now we finally tell the tale of the tragedy of Jarek the Entertainer. If you've been listening to our campaign, I've been dropping hints about who Jarek was. If you remember, Amonity the Warlock, rest in peace, found an ornate silver dagger and silver flute on the body of a halfling corpse, long dead in the shrine of the Raven Queen, located in the Witching Woods. After solving a riddle, they gained access to the halfling's tomb. Little did Amonity know, but the dagger was cursed. A powerful demon was trapped inside it. He was killed before the demon made itself known, and Alexander the Bard picked it up. At first, the dagger appeared to be just another magical weapon, with the ability to make its victims grovel. As the weeks went on, Alexander discovered that he couldn't get rid of the dagger. Every time he tried to lay it down or throw it away, it would appear back in his hand or in the ornate sheath. Then the nightmares began. Terrible dreams of murdering an infant and halflings. Then the dagger began to speak to Alexander, demanding to be fed with blood and souls. Alexander was killed in a battle with a paladin of Arathus that was being controlled by a Red Talon wizard. He was brought back a couple days later, but while he was dead, his soul was tortured inside the dagger by the demon trapped there. His name was Ornan. After Alexander was raised, the demon became more demanding and insistent on blood. The demon has recently taken over Alexander's body almost killing a hunter while the rest of the party slept. It took our villains knocking Alexander unconscious and tying him up to stop him. Our villains now find themselves in the town of Hedgedale, not far from the shrine of the Raven Queen and the Witching Woods. It is also where the tale of the tragedy of Jarek the Entertainer begins. The Raven's Blessing Inn is packed this moonless night. This, the first night of the Festival of Night, in homage to the Raven Queen. A famous bard has taken the stage. The old, but still spry human, has long gray hair and a long oiled beard. The gentleman is dressed in a fine bright red cloak and matching wide brimmed hat. He removes the hat and cloak and throws them onto a chair on the stage. He comes his hand through his hair and beard to straighten them and takes a goblet of wine offered to him by one of the patrons. He nods to the woman who offered the wine and takes a long swig. He sets the goblet down on the stage 
and picks up a lute and strums a chord. Greetings, my dear ladies and gentlemen of Hedgedale. I am Bartleby Law Singer, a bard of some little renown. With that, the crowd cheers. Bartleby soaks in the admiration for a few moments before striking another chord, and the room quiets down. <laughs> Why, thank you for your warm welcome, my friends. Lend me your ears. For tonight, I shall regale you with the tragic tale of Jarek the Entertainer, or some say Jarek the Mad, or Jarek the Twice Cursed. A tale especially significant this night and in this town, since it began and ended here, in Hedgedale, on a night just like this. Most tales of the merry halflings are happy, but I must warn you, this tale is not for the faint of heart or the weak of constitution, for this is a tale of betrayal, madness, murder, and woe. Many, many years ago, there was a bard of great fame that delighted and entertained commoner and noble alike. Jarek the Entertainer, a handsome and charismatic halfling, was short of stature, but tall of personality. His lilting tenor voice, his storytelling, and his deep knowledge of lore enthralled audiences from Vaughan in the East and the other side of the world in Gresson. Jarek was well-traveled and very smart. It is said he could tell a tale in any language and hold the audience in anticipation of his next word, from the lowest dockside dive to the highest court of the Eladrin. When Jarek was in town, people knew there was a show worth attending and paid a pretty copper to hear his tales. An inn would be filled to capacity with just a rumor of Jarek performing that night. He delighted children with tales of heroes and damsels and dragons. He titillized common rooms with ribald tales of buxom maidens and surly nobles. Through song and tale and lute and flute, Jarek's reputation spread across all the nations of Suel. The sight of his trademark bright multicolored cloak was enough to have a throng of townspeople follow him to the inn where he was performing that night. Though Jarek had great fame, he was still a very humble halfling. He believed the greatest joke was upon himself. He was kind and generous, sometimes even foregoing payment for a room and a meal if the inn was of little means. His craft and his reputation was his greatest reward. No matter the room, he knew his audience well. He could tell tales of the Dwarven Kings as easily as High Elven Warriors. Storytelling came easily as breathing to the talented halfling. But, as it is with one who may rise so high, so does jealousy and the desire to bring one so far above you low. 
for this is not only the tale of Jarek, it is also the tale of his apprentice and cousin, Darby. Darby was Jarek's cousin on his mother's side, thrice removed, according to unreliable sources. And he was, as it is in many halfling cultures, raised in a close-knit family. Extended members were treated as close as brethren. Jarek is said to have even considered Darby as one might consider his younger brother. As children, they played in the forest and streams, playing games and wooing young maidens. They sang and danced and were the best of friends. Jarek eventually struck out into the world as Wonderlust, as it sometimes does, strikes a halfling coming of age like a fever. After many years and many miles, Jarek returned home with tales of the world. They were wondrous tales of the deeds and tribulations of elves and humans, dwarves and dragonborn. He also told of his close calls with goblins and kobolds that left his family terrified and hanging on his every word. There were boats and seas, mountains and deserts, kings and queens, adventure and gold, inns and drinking, and amenable women. Dobby, hearing Jarek's tales, was awestruck. Dobby knew the world was incredibly big, and his life was so, so small. Small even for a halfling. Dobby was still young. At 30, he had no wife and was bored of farming and chewing ponies. He dreamed of leaving his home of Hedgedale and setting out to find his fame and fortune. He begged Jarek to take him out on the road, for which Jarek replied, There's no need to beg, cousin, for I will take you on as my apprentice. Together we shall strike out and make odd names in the world. There's no one I'd rather have at my side in this adventure we call life. Darby, as you could imagine, was delighted and broke more than a few crocs as he danced and twirled at the news. The next day, Darby said goodbye to his mother and father and kissed his once betrothed goodbye and set her free. He gathered his things along with his drum and juggling balls and he and Jarek set off to conquer Suel. Along the way, Jarek patiently taught Darby to play the flute and the lute. I say patiently because Darby had no talent for either. <laughs> to say Darby had a middling talent for storytelling is, well, generous. Jarek spent many nights on the road, not only teaching Darby the tales, but coaching him how to tell the story, what to emphasize, how to pause at just the right moment, and how to speak in different accents and voices. However, Darby only knew how to speak common, and would not be able to tell stories in some of the rooms in which they performed. He had some skill in tumbling and juggling, and could even do the five ball loop. But some of the rowdier rooms weren't interested at best, 
and at worst, booed Dobby until Jarek would take the stage and quiet them with a few strums of his lute in the beginning of a tale. The promise of a tragedy would usually grab their attention, as everyone loves a good cot wreck. Do I not say true? <laughs> he saddened Dobby, and he began to deaden that sadness with wine and ale, as his more talented cousin performed late into the night. The sadness eventually became anger, and the anger became rage, as Dobby got deeper into his cups and the room sunk deeper into Jarek's thrall. The tragic truth to tell? It hurt Jarek more to see Dobby wounded such in his descent into the drink. Jarek, as kind as he was, would tell Dobby that it wasn't anything Dobby did or didn't do. It was just the room. Jarek, in his ability to read an audience at a glance, would begin to tell Dobby this isn't the right room for Dobby's skills this night. But the wrong room seemed to become more frequent. Eventually, Dobby wasn't performing at all. Dobby could only watch as Jarek performed each night with the audience captivated by his every word. And thus, Dobby got deeper and deeper into his drink. Dobby became jealous and he knew it. He even told himself to stop. Why should he be jealous of his beloved cousin, who always supported him, paid for their room, meals, and drink, and never said an unkind word, even when Dobby knew he had performed badly? Eventually that voice became smaller and smaller and smaller still until anger and resentment began to build room by room, audience by audience, and drink by drink. Eventually, Dobby became so jealous of Jarek that he began to think about ways he could take Jarek's place as THE entertainer. Then came that fateful night in the hometown of Hedgedale. They visited their families, and Jarek spun tales of their adventures and fame that they had gained. Jarek kindly told of how well Dobby had performed, and how valuable he was on the road. But Dobby only took Jarek's kind words as mockery. After many cups of wine, Dobby threw his cup onto the ground and stormed out of the home to the astonishment of their families. Jarek followed Dobby out and grabbed his arm, saying, Cousin, what is wrong? Why have you left so? Dobby spun and slapped Jarek's hand away and spat. Why must you mock me so in front of our mothers? You know I'm little more than a farm boy pretending to be a bard. I'm no use to you. I'm no use to anyone. But cousin, it's not so. I could not have traveled these many miles without you by my side. You have talents. Even though others might not see them, I see them. I love you. Dobby hissed at Jarek. He spun and walked away into the night as Jarek watched in his pain and sadness. It so happens, as it is in most tales, this night 
was significant in more than one way. For that night, as it is this night, was the festival of the night, or in the old ways, in old tongue, Noctis Quavis, the night of the raven, the night where tales say the barrier between our world and the plane of the undead weakens, the night when our prayers go to the Raven Queen to implore her for protection and to protect our dead for molestation. The children wore feathered raven masks as per tradition and ran up to people on the streets yelling, Banish fiend, banish fiend, I command you by the Raven Queen to drive out evil spirits that could and would possess the dead. Dobby pushed the children out of his way, cursing them as he made his way to find the Raven's Blessing Inn, this inn where we gathered this night, to drown his shame in more wine. As he approached the tavern, he saw a beautiful raven-haired woman under a high steeple tent on the street. She was like no other woman he had ever seen. She appeared to be a half-elf, with a slim frame accentuated by her black silken dress and her ample bosom, which in turn was accented by her leather corset. She seemed almost otherworldly, and he couldn't determine her age by her flawless face or ivory skin. Her long hair fell below her breast and had silver wires and baubles weaved throughout. In a languid voice she spoke. Traveler, I see greatness in you. May I tell you your fortune? Darby came closer and was intoxicated by the smell of incense she had burning in a bowl. He became overwhelmed with desire for this woman. The lamps at her table glinted off of her black eyes. He felt like he could drown in those pools of darkness. All thought of wine vanished after gazing upon her visage. Yes, anything for you. Drawing upon his courage from the wine, he said, but I'd rather know more about you. The woman laughed in a chiming tone. I have no stories, only the stories of those that the fates whisper to me. Won't you let me tell you what they whisper? They tell me you have a story, a story that many bard will tell for generations to come. True is what I say. The truth was it not. <laughs> Dobby drew closer and said, <laughs> Well, of course I'll hear your tell. And he threw down several gold pieces. The raven-haired woman gathered the coins and took Dobby's hand. She opened his hand and placed them back into his palm, closing his fingers around them with her slim fingers. Her touch was electric to Dobby. Such a beautiful woman touching him in such a way. No, no, this fortune is free. She released his hand and fell back upon her stool. 
She closed her eyes, and for a long moment, she fell silent. After what seemed like an eternity, she spoke. You have stood in the shadows for far too long. The apprentice will become the master, and the master shall fall low. Seek me in the woods. There you will inherit your power, the blade and the wind. Darby, in his stupor, was stunned by her words. This was his sign. It wasn't that he wasn't talented, it was that Jarek was too famous, and no matter what he did, it would be overshadowed by Jarek's reputation. He was every bit as good as Jarek. The woman spoke again. Meet me at the pond, just inside the woods after midnight. I will build a fire, and I will tell you how to realize your fate. I can say no more now. The night is still young. Enjoy your drink. Revel in the raven's night, but meet me at the pond. At that, she released his hand, smiled, and waved him on. Darby made his way to the inn, ordered some wine, and fantasized about the raven hair woman. How beautiful she was. How important she knew him to be. The shape of her body and the fullness of her lips. They must taste like the finest wine he fought. After several cups of wine, he made his way outside to relieve himself and looked at the moon. It was past midnight. He walked, half ran, half stumbled as he made his way out of town and into the witching woods. The way was not far or unfamiliar to Darby, since he had played many times as a child in the outskirts of the woods and the pond known as the Witch's Wet. This was of course the witching woods, but nothing was really dangerous because it was so close to town. He had swam here many times as a child. As he walked through the path to the pond, he could see a light gaining brightness. He crossed onto the path to the pond and could see a small fire. He could see the shape of a woman sitting in front of it. As he approached, the woman suddenly said without turning around, Good, you have come to meet your fate. Dobby slowly approached and came up behind the woman. She rose to her knees, turned and dropped her cloak, revealing her nakedness to Dobby. She embraced him and kissed him deeply. They fell to the ground and made love in the firelight beside the pond. After a while, they fell breathless to the ground. She stood up and put her cloak around her and said, Follow me to your destiny. Dobby rose and clothed himself again and followed the woman into the woods. After what seemed like many miles later, they came upon a dilapidated cottage in the woods. The wood of the cottage looked rotten in the moonlight 
and brambles grew up against the path and the structure. Come, come inside to gain your power, the woman said as she went inside. Darby, senses dulled by wine and passion, heeded the woman without a second thought. The woman lit a candle on a small wooden table in the room. She sat down upon a stool and motioned Darby to sit on a stool opposite her. He stumbled down upon it. He looked bleary-eyed at the woman. Tonight is a night of destiny. The fates have brought you to me to show you the way. The raven-haired woman said. She rose from the table and gathered two glass goblets. She poured a pink, effervescent liquid into both cups and handed one to Darby. Drink, drink, my love. Drink to your destiny. Darby took the cup and looked into it. By the candlelight, he thought he saw heart-shaped bubbles in the wine. How appropriate, he thought, as he drank deeply of the liquid. A reflection off the silver pitcher caught his eye. For a second, just a second, he thought he saw the reflection of an old hag. Then the thought escaped his mind. He became consumed with his new lover. He thought to himself that this woman he had only just met a few hours ago was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. Should he propose marriage now? Or was it too soon? Maybe tomorrow would be better, when he had a clearer head. After what seemed like an eternity to him, the woman spoke. But with a reward, there's always a cost. What are you willing to pay to fulfill your destiny? As she stared into Dobby's eyes, Anything. Everything. The halfling replied, So it may be, and so it is. Do you trust me? The woman said. She leaned across the small table and kissed Darby deeply. Darby regained his breath after the kiss and gasped. <laughs> In all things, my dearest. The raven-haired woman wiped her lips with her fingers and said with a smile, The fates require an end. Offering. Bring me an infant firstborn child this night to receive your birthright. Something tugged, screamed in the back of Darby's head. This is all wrong. Don't do this. This is evil. This woman is evil. But that voice in the back of his head quickly diminished. How could he ever doubt his love? As the fates wish, said Darby. He stood up from the table and kissed her deeply again. Emboldened and with his quest, he turned and walked out the door of the cottage. Darby walked for what seemed like an eternity towards Hedgedale. It was foggy and he noticed his footsteps were muffled. What a curious thing. 
where would he go to find a firstborn child? Of course, his sister had just had a child the month before. That would do. He walked to their humble little home with the taste of the woman's lips on his and the strange wine. He stopped beside a tree and vomited before he continued on his path. At this late hour, all had retired and the lights were off in the home. He knew this house well and would not even need a candle to find the child's bedroom. Without a sound, he crept in and picked the baby girl up from her crib. She woke, and Darby hushed her by putting his finger in her mouth. The babe began to suckle and fell silent. Darby breathed a sigh of relief. This deed is not one he wished to try to explain, but this was bigger, bigger than all of them, was it not? This was required by fate, wasn't it? Who should have to explain fate? That, and she was so beautiful. The raven-haired woman's face filled all his thoughts at that moment. What was her name? Had she told him? Did it matter? Can you put a name to love so pure? He put it out of his mind. There was a job to do this night. Dobby wrapped the infant in her blanket and made off into the woods again to meet his destiny. After what seemed like hours, he found his way back to the woman's house. She was waiting for him at the door and greeted him. Good. All is as the fates have foreseen. Come, meet your destiny. Dobby entered the room and saw that the table had been cleared of the glasses. It had two candles burning at either end. Upon the table was also a silver flute and a gaudy, jeweled, encrusted dagger. Place the child upon the table, my dearest. Something tugged at the back of Dobby's mind that said, Stop! But he was too far gone in the cups and the intoxication of this woman to pay any attention to that voice. The baby began to protest, but the woman smiled at the child and put her finger to the infant's lips. Shh, dear child, you are part of something so much grander than you could have ever been in your life. The woman stroked the child's face with a look of adoration. Without looking up, she said to Darby, Do you claim your destiny, my dearest? Yes, I, I, I do. I anything for you. Shh. Rest, child. It will be done soon. The ivory-skinned woman began to chant in a low voice. It was a language Darby did not understand. After a few minutes, the woman, in one fluid motion, picked up 
the ornate dagger from the table and plunged it into the baby's chest. The child cried out for the briefest of moments before she breathed her last breath and fell still. Darby thought the dagger glowed red and then the glow disappeared. He thought to himself that he should feel something about this, but he didn't know what he should feel. The woman was so beautiful. Mayhap he should offer marriage right now. It is done, the woman said as she looked into Darby's eyes. She pulled the dagger from the infant's chest and licked the blood from the blade. After a few moments of Darby staring, she spoke. These are the last instruments Jarek will ever desire. Darby reached for the dagger and the flute, and the woman hissed, pulling them away before he could touch them. No, you must never touch this dagger or this flute with your bare flesh, lest you fall under its spell. She took the swaddling cloth from the now still lifeless babe and wiped the blood from the dagger with it. The dagger was gilded with gold and jewels. It would be a temptation to caress it to anyone who gazed upon it. What Darby didn't know, as the story goes, was the woman, no, that witch conjured and trapped a powerful demon whose name is unpronounceable to all but the most learned of mortal tongues. But for the sake of the story, let's call it Fluffy. <laughs> Fluffy was conjured and trapped inside the dagger. Demons, being demons, are interested in only two things, destruction and domination. So it was no surprise that the demon, with no way to cause destruction, was constantly gibbering the word grovel to anyone who held it. Of course, Dobby didn't know this. The woman placed the dagger inside a wooden case that appeared to be custom made for it. The dark iron wood seemed just as beautiful as the dagger. She handed him the box and said, Go, seek your destiny, before kissing him a final time. Without a word, Darby turned and walked to the door, but not without turning to look once more upon his love. I, I'll, I'll be back when, when, I'm, when I'm rich and famous. I'll, I'll, I'll make you an honest woman. We shall see. It may be, if the fates so wish it. Darby stumbled through the wood again. He began to run as he could not wait to give the gifts to Jarek. That was until, in the dark, his forehead was introduced unceremoniously to a low-hanging branch. The world went even darker than it already was. Darby awoke to a high-hanging sun and a throbbing head. 
in more than one way. The combined morning after drink and the wound to his forehead was unbearable. It was also evident by the witness in his pants that he had soiled himself quite thoroughly. How embarrassing, he thought to himself, but it would probably be dried before he made it back to town. What were these things in his hands? Oh yes, the instruments of his destiny, the silver flute and the gilded dagger. He must get these to Jarek, he remembered the woman saying. She was so lovely. After he gave the flute and dagger to Jarek, maybe he would dress himself in his finest clothes, buy a ring, and propose to the woman this very day. What was her name again? It didn't matter. Who can put a name to love, he thought. He rose unsteadily to his feet and began his journey back to his home. It was well past midday when he arrived at the home. Before he got within a stone's throw, he could hear the wailing of a woman <laughs> that sounded like his sister. What could be wrong, he wondered. As he entered the common room of the home, he saw all of his family there. His mother turned to him, bleary-eyed and weeping. Darby, where have you been? Your sister's babe's been stolen in the night. What's wrong with your head? Were you attacked by the babe nappers? No, no, I, I hit my head on a wagon. Who who could have stolen her babe? We, we must summon the guard. There's no time to waste. Dobby said with surprise and concern, without a hint of remorse or deception, as Dobby did not know that the culprit was he, for he had been bewitched by the woman in the wood and had no memory of his crime. A small blessing, do you not think? The guard's been summoned. They've organized a search for the criminals. Let, let me look at your head. Dobby motioned his mother away and crossed the room to comfort his sister. She was sitting on a stool beside the fire with her head in her hands, quietly <laughs> sobbing. He lowered himself to one knee and said, We'll, we'll find your babe and make the brigands pay. His sister raised her head briefly and with a cold, sober look said, Yes, yes, they, they will pay dearly. Before returning her head to her hands and sobbing, Dobby felt a hand at his shoulder. He stood and turned around to find Jarek staring at him with eyes swollen by tears. My cousin... We will get through this. We will find your sister's babe and make those who took her pay. In this I have no fear or doubt. Uh, of course we will, Dobby said as tears began to well in his eyes. I know your grief must be great, but we must be steadfast and stoic for the women, Jarek said wiping his eyes. My cousin, I must speak to you of another matter that is pressing. 
No other matter is more pressing than the matter at hand. I will hear of nothing else. Jarek said sternly, but soft enough to where the rest of the room could not hear. Darby tried to hide his disappointment. He needed to give Jarek the dagger and the flute. At this point in the story, I could tell you of the days and the weeks that the family searched for the babe and the brigands responsible. But that is not this tale, and we all know who is to blame for the poor babe's fate. This is not the story of the babe, but the story of Jarek and Darby. So it came to be that spring had sprung and summer was in its late days, and the family was resigned to never know the fate of the poor babe. All the while, Darby argued with himself each hour, each day, if it were the right time to offer Jarek his gifts. Was now not the time? No. His destiny could wait an hour longer, until the days stretched into weeks, and the weeks stretched into a season. Every night, he would polish the flute and open the box staring into the dagger by candlelight. Soon, he thought, soon he would give the gifts to his cousin and his destiny would be fulfilled. Also each night, he would enter the witching woods, back to the pond to try to find his lover. But she was not there. He tried to find his way back to the cottage, to the best of his recollection, but he could not find it. He asked around in the village about the fortune teller near the tavern on the raven's night, but no one could remember there ever being a beautiful woman that he had described in great detail, telling fortunes that night. Was his love lost? Why could he not find her? Why had she not sought him? As the weeks went by, he became more solemn, resigned in the knowledge that he may never see her again. Early one cool autumn morning, Jarek woke Darby from his slumber. As much as I hate to admit it, the road is calling. We can do no more good here. We can wait here until we're old and we may never see that babe again. So let us set off again, Darby. Finally, Darby thought, this is the time. My cousin, I regretfully agree. I've, I've waited until the time was right. There was just too much grief that's been in our home and I didn't know the right time. Do you remember Raven's Night? We had an argument and I shamed myself. You have shown me nothing but kindness and I rewarded you with bile. It's a fault in me. I went that night and bought you two gifts that I've waited until now to give you. Cousin, that was no fault and I took no offense. Say no more of it. No gift or apology I seek of you. No, cousin. I must insist. You must accept my apology and these gifts. 
Dobby dropped to his knees and reached deep underneath his bed. He retrieved a bundle and said, First, a master flute for a master bard. Dobby could hardly contain his excitement, and his hands trembled as he unwrapped the silver flute from an oilskin. Cousin, I can't accept this. This is too fine an instrument and too dear of a cost to you. No, no, the cost has been paid and I will accept no refusal. But this is not my finest gift. Dobby handed the silver flute to his cousin and Jarek took it. Dobby kneeled and reached further underneath his bed and produced the ironwood box. This is to express my deepest appreciation of your kindness and hope for our future. It's to protect us on the endless roads of this world. Please, cousin, accept this gift. Dobby put the box into his cousin's hand and waited eagerly for him to open it. Jarek stroked the fine wood of the box. Dobby thought his cousin might be teasing him. Well, open the damn thing already. <laughs> Jarek opened the lid and his eyes shot wide open. Cousin, how, how did you afford this? I can't, I can't possibly accept such a gift. All the while, Jarek's hands crept in to touch the resplendent dagger. Have you no worry how I came by it, and I, and I didn't steal it, if that's what you're getting at. It's yours, and but a token of my admiration for you. Jarek reached for the dagger, and as soon as his hand touched it, did he seem struck, and his eyes roll back in their lids? It seemed like he was in ecstasy. A few moments passed, and Dobby tested. Cousin? Do... do you like it? Jarek snapped back to reality and looked at Dobby. Yes, yes, sorry. It's... it's just such a fine gift. Thank... thank you so much, cousin. Dobby didn't know what he expected. Was he supposed to feel something? Is this what destiny feels like? No, this couldn't be it. Jarek and Dobby packed their things that day, said their goodbyes and well wishes, and took to the road out of town. They talked about the adventures they would have, and a new art Jarek had been planning that would feature Darby's juggling. As the weeks went by, Darby could tell something wasn't right. Jarek would go on stage and forget stories he had told a hundred times. He would sometimes stop and stare into the audience, constantly fingering the dagger at his side. The audience would at first be waiting, and when the next line didn't come for minutes, they would start to boo. Jarek would sometimes snap out of it and would continue where he left off if it was a good night. Other times, Dobby would have to guide Jarek off the stage and make apologies to the innkeeper 
and have to find other accommodations for the night. The proverbial straw that broke the cart was one memorable night in Luskane when Jarek actually stopped during the tale of ruin to fall on his face and began muttering. Gravel, gravel, yes, yes, gravel, yes, yes, gravel, 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 yes, yes, gravel, gravel. Jarek actually pulled the dagger from his sheath and tried to slosh at Darby as he tried to pull him from the stage. Jarek did not remember any of the event and blamed it on some bad wine he must have had that night. Darby suggested that they might take a break for a while and return home for some much needed rest from the road. It would also be good to see the family again after the year that they had spent traveling. Jarek agreed and they made their way back to Hedgedale. On the journey home, Darby could tell that something was very not right with Jarek. He was barely eating and more strangely, not talking. Jarek became prone to stopping in the middle of the road to fall on his face and muttering, Gravel, gravel, yes, yes, gravel, yes, yes, gravel, 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 yes, yes, gravel, gravel. When poor Jarek finally recovered from these fits, he would claim no knowledge of them when Darby confronted him. They finally made it to their home that summer, a year after the disappearance of the babe, to be greeted by the family. His family wanted to hear the stories of their time on the road, but that was left up to Darby, as Jarek would no longer speak. Sullen, he spent most of his time polishing and admiring the dagger. A few days went by before Darby confronted his cousin. So, have you nothing to say to me or your kin? You do nothing but stare at that dagger. You barely eat or sleep. I wish I hadn't given it to you. That's all you're gonna do. Jarek looked up from his reflection in the steel of the dagger and with a scowl on his face said, You don't understand. No one can understand. Darby frowned in a disappointed look that only a parent could give a child. What I understand is you haven't been yourself for a long time. Where is the cheerful halfling I once knew that would jump at the chance to tell a story or offer a joke? I don't know you anymore, cousin. Do you think you can take it from me, Darby? I won't let you... With that outburst, Jarek's mother and sister entered the common room. What is all this then? Arguing in my home. I won't have it. Jarek's mother scolded. The portly woman planted her hips, still covered in flour from whatever she was baking in the kitchen. Jarek, your behavior will just not do. You've been a ghost in our home. All you do is stare at that dagger. A pretty trinket it is, but you're consumed with it. Put it down and come help me in the kitchen with a tale or a song, or get your hands dirty. Jarek was ashamed. 
he cast his eyes down in front of his mother. Yes, yes, I will come. I will. I will play my flute for you as you cook the dinner. He looked at the dagger for a long moment and put it on the table. Good. Now come along. Help your sister and me. His mother said, turning and walking back to the kitchen. Jarek rose and looked back at the dagger. Then, mustering his will, he walked to the threshold of the kitchen and turned back to look. Go along then, Dobby said, waving his cousin on. Jarek walked into the kitchen and Dobby thought to himself, What did I do? Jarek isn't himself and it's because of this dagger. I know I gave it to him as a gift and there's no way I can take it back. But what if it became lost? That wouldn't do. He would know someone took it. As he thought this, he could hear Jarek softly playing a sad tune from the kitchen. The dirge drifted into the common room. It wasn't Jarek's best playing, but better than no playing at all. Mayhap, it would take Jarek's mind away from the dagger. Right then, Darby decided he had to get rid of the dagger. It was ruining Jarek. This wasn't what he wanted. Yes, he had been jealous of his cousin and wanted to embrace his destiny. But not at the expense of his cousin's sanity. He would run into the forest and bury the damn thing when no one could find it. As Darby reached for the dagger, it became mist, and his fingers slipped through it. The music stopped, and he heard a scream from the kitchen. <coughs> Darby sprang from his chair and ran to the threshold where he saw an impossible sight. Jarek was holding the dagger against his mother's throat. Cousin! What, what are you doing? Jarek just stared at Dobby as if entranced. I, I, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Jarek's face suddenly went dark. You, you, you want to take the dagger from me. You, you can't have it. Jarek slid the dagger across his mother's throat and crimson pulled out across her once clean white apron. Her hand went to her throat, but it was too late. She was dead before her body slumped from Jarek's arms and hit the floor of her tidy kitchen. Jarek's sister ran at him and tried to wrestle the dagger away. You can't have it, Jarek screamed as he stabbed his beloved younger sister through the eye. Cousin, what have you done? She, she tried to steal my dagger. You, you want it too. I know you do. You've wanted it for yourself since the day you gave it to me. At that, Jarek lunged at Darby and plunged the gilded dagger into his beloved cousin's heart. Darby stared into Jarek's eyes in disbelief. And in that moment, 
Jarek awoke from the spell of the dagger. One final cruelness from the demon within. What? What have I done? Jarek whispered as Darby slid from the dagger and collapsed to the tidy kitchen floor, dead. They say Jarek's mournful scream could be heard from half a league. When the rest of Jarek's family found him, he had cut his own throat. Now halflings are superstitious folk, no offense. They had heard whispers about how Jarek had become obsessed with his dagger. A witness next door, eavesdropping no doubt, said they had heard a heated argument before the screaming started. Someone was yelling about stealing a dagger. So, it was decided that the gilded dagger was bad luck, and they should bury it with Jarek so no one else would be swayed by its glamour. Now, make no mistake, even with his missteps towards the end, Jarek was wealthy by anyone's measure. However, his family did not want to have any part of his inheritance as they considered it bad luck. So, it was decided that his wealth would be used to give him a place of honour and protection in the shrine of the Raven Queen. They hired artisans with the permission of priests of the Raven Queen to commission a special crypt for Jarek, where he could rest with his prized possession and the rest of the world would be protected from its influence. A lock was placed on the door based on a morbid riddle they knew Jarek would appreciate. Over the years, Jarek's tell faded into rumor, but the story is still told as I have told you this night. It is a sad tell, and if there is any moral to it, I would warn you, dear listener, sometimes, if you do not take care, your most prized possession could, in the end, possess you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dungeons & Debacles podcast. If I could ask a halfling size favor, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support us. New episodes come out every Monday, so make sure to check your podcast app. Do you have an idea to make the podcast better? Tell us about it on Twitter or Facebook. You can also check out our website to see all the maps, lore, and characters at DungeonsAndDebaclesPodcast.com. And now a word from our fantasy sponsor. They've traveled the world, and now, for the first time ever, they perform just for you. Crossbows and Daisies, the greatest collection of bards Suell has ever known, has teamed up with the Wizards of the Tower of Insight to create a magical music player that performs their greatest songs. You don't have to travel to see them in a crowded theater or tavern. You can listen in the comfort of your own home and share the experience with your friends. 
I got kobolds in the kitchen and goblins in the garden. They're eating pies and smashing crocs. My things they aren't regarding. Grab your pitchfork and your axe and gather up your friends. These filthy little monsters are gonna meet their ends. And who could ever forget this song of love, lust, and betrayal? I was dancing with a lady to the Marilish Waltz when my comrade cut in and his swooning begins. And they also performed some of your favorite folk classics. I believe I was right. But she thinks that I'm wrong The fighting with her has gone on too long So I drink and I dice But I'm not the villain My woman has left with the pig and the children And who doesn't love a good tavern song? Adventuring is a thirsty hot life There's no time for kids or even a wife In our wake is corpses Bring me for my men and hell for the horses I'd returned from the bar When I saw she was gone The bard had swept her away I stand here alone Why did she go astray? The minstrel has stole my maid. The only good witch is the dead witch, dead witch, only good witch I know. Burn at the stake or drown in the lake, no more trouble in the village you'll make. But that's not all. Renowned bard Bartleby Lore Singer tells tales like only he can. Lend me your ears for tonight. I shall regale you with the tragic tale of Jarek the Unattainer, or some say Jarek the Mad, or Jarek the Twice Cursed. Most tales of merry halflings are happy, but I must warn you, this tale is not for the faint of heart or weak of constitution, for this is a tale of betrayal, madness, murder, and woe. This is a limited time offer. Supplies are limited and when they run out, they'll be gone forever. Send a letter to Mad Cedric's Discount Goods and Adventurers Emporium on the Isle of Insight with 50 gold pieces to secure your magical music player with the performances of Crossbows and Daisies Now. The music you heard on this episode was Folk Round, Teller of the Tales, Private Reflection, Minstrel Guild, the Parting, Giant Worm, Shadowlands 1, Horizon, Ghost Story, Metaphysics, Anguish, Long Road Ahead, Village Consort, The Chamber, Enchanted Journey, Dark Standoff, and Evening of Chaos by Kevin McLeod in Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. CreativeCommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0